Hey folks, this week's episode was recorded live with all three of us in the same room, and uh, that presents some uh, interesting issues audio-wise in terms of some levels disparity and also some ambient noise from traffic and uh, other sounds going on in the building. Um, so yeah, I've done my best to deal with that, but if you are a person who is sound sensitive or misophonic or what have you, I would recommend that maybe you don't listen on headphones this week, because um, there are a few kind of volume jumps and some noises that may be unpleasant, but... Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a great interview, and um, I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Robbie and I would also like to thank our patrons over on Patreon.com, Grace K, Jessica Don M, Carla H, Thomas B, Lindsay B, Dave M, Jill B, Paige N, and Brianna G. If you'd like to join their ranks, you can do that over at Patreon.com slash Holy Shit, I Have ADHD. I'm Robbie McDonald. And I'm Jordan Lee. We're two writers who've been friends for 15 years. Recently, we both discovered we have the shared experience of figuring out we have ADHD in midlife. Holy shit, I have ADHD is a platform for adults discovering their neurodivergence, as well as a way to spread awareness of ADHD. This is a podcast about ADHD, hosted by two people with ADHD. While each episode has a general theme, our meandering trains of thought mean we often cover several other themes in the process. We are not experts, simply two people sharing their experiences of discovering their ADHD in midlife. If you suspect you or someone you know may have ADHD, speaking to a medical professional should be part of your discovery journey. So we are on the 21st floor in downtown Vancouver, surrounded by cranes and buildings and mountains, and we are with the one and only Ryan Walter Wagner. And Jordan is in town, Mm -hmm. and the three of us are actually sharing space, physical space, which seems um, like a bit of a marvel after the last um, almost two years. So it's just so great to be able to to see you again and have a conversation with you because I'm just really stoked with all the work you're doing and building community around ADHD. So welcome, Ryan. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I'm actually gonna I'm gonna slide this a little bit more towards you because we're not actually getting that much Ryan. Oh, okay. um, so we need more Ryan. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, yeah. So so speaking of your project, we have of course brought you up on the show a number of times, talking about your ADHD in adulthood portraiture project. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. So that might be uh, a kind of good place to start or, or, or and then work backwards into your story or would you rather talk about yourself first and then work that into how you came to the project well it's all kind of is the same thing right to be honest like i started the project because of my diagnosis and i started my project because of your or <clears throat> i found out about my diagnosis because of this podcast mm. because of episode one uh-huh. I did i ever tell you that i don't know i if can't I remember did. wow but yeah no I, tell us more i, I, I know you. that yeah but it was, you know, I just saw you posting it on Facebook. Hey, here's my podcast. And I saw it come up a couple times. I was like, no, I'll support Jordan. Like, he's a cool guy. Let me hear, see what he's up to. And that I listened to about half of the first episode. And I just had to pick my jaw off the floor. I was like, oh, holy. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I see what's going on here. And so I just, like, left myself a little note and said, make sure you ask your therapist this this week. And, and I did. And that was kind of the start of it all. Hmm. Um, and then my journey from there was, I mean, it wasn't easy, but it wasn't hard. It just kind of seemed to drag on. Mm. So because I don't have a doctor, I was just going to a clinic. Mm-hmm. And going to the clinic meant that they didn't know who I am. You know, so it just kind of started, 
I spoke with my therapist. She said, she looked at me and said, yeah, well, no, I can totally see that. Like she didn't hesitate for a second. Um, mm -hmm. And I told her why. I said, everything that you mentioned, I wrote down. I was like this and that and that. And I just like connect so much with that. So she said, you know, talk to the doctor. I spoke to the doctor. They did the initial phone assessment. From there, I was then referred to an ADHD specialist, Parhar. Har. Um, I think mm. it was actually in the CB, at the end of the CBC article on you. I read right, this yeah, the doctor mm. from Burnaby. Yeah. Uh, and mm. so, you know, same thing with them. They did an initial assessment, which was a bunch of pages to fill out about my childhood and my adulthood. And as we go down, you know, then I, a couple months, a month later, or so I meet with them. They diagnose me a couple weeks later. My doctor says, "Yeah, you've been diagnosed. Let's get you medicated." So, I mean, it was all fairly straightforward, but it did drag out a mm. bit and. I mean, it's not even so much of the process of being diagnosed. It's just the sitting there and thinking about what you are now. Almost yeah. like, not that it changed me or changes me at all. It just is now a thing that it's like, okay, so I work as a photographer and I will get people to pose in ways that they already do without knowing, you know, when you stand and put your weight on one leg, if I can indicate that to you, now, you know, you're doing it. And the next time you're going to do it on purpose. Mm. So to me, it's kind of the same explanation is like, this is this thing about me, but now somebody has indicated what it is. So it was that, and I know Robbie, that we, you were the first person I photographed for my portrait project, mm. which is, was a way for me to kind of understand what the hell's going on. Um, <clears throat> so that's, I mean, it just kind of all started pushing forward is like, as, as a photographer, I, it was... I guess easy for me to kind of figure out something that I could do with the, all of these thoughts and feelings and like confusion and understanding and just everything that was going on just felt like a, a way for me to connect with other people would be through the one thing that I know how to do mm -hmm. and it, it works like it has been the best thing that I could have I could have ever done. I haven't wow. started any medication or anything yet, <clears throat> but going mm -hmm. out and talking to complete strangers, and you know, showing up in a park and being like, "Are you the person?" <laughs> and then we hang out for a couple hours and we connect instantly. And I think you guys mm -hmm. know that as well, sure, it? because we're able to talk about these things. And I know with both of you, like same thing with you, Robbie. When we first met, I was just like, oh, "Okay, this is." easy I'm gonna tell you anything you want to know mm -hmm. I'll be super open with you and I just found that every person after that was the same thing I just like I just felt comfortable and open and I noticed other people were being very open with me as well mm -hmm. and not that there was difficult things to talk about but maybe just things that you don't talk about all the time because you don't feel like people really get it yeah. But I'm going to these situations knowing this person gets it. Like right. They called me because we have this, this is the thing we have in common. Mm -hmm. um, so for a person like me that is newly diagnosed, trying to navigate what it is, what it means to me, going out and talking to all these <clears throat> different people from vastly different experiences. You know, some people mm -hmm. had been diagnosed as kids right. and had supportive families and grew up in this world where they were supported as a person with ADD. Mm -hmm. um, or they were diagnosed as a kid and their parents were like, mm -mm, not my kid and that's not a thing. And then they didn't find out until they were in their 20s or 30s when they decided upon themselves. Um, so just kind of learning all of those different ways that it's impacting people um, through medications, through therapy. Mm -hmm. um, and just, I mean, obviously in the last couple of years, the understanding of what ADHD has risen 
quite a bit. Yeah. Um, just because so many more people are have the time to, to figure out that they need to be diagnosed and mm-hmm. portrayed. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of the gist of, of where my story comes from. That's great. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm kind of, I'm, so I'll, I'll get Robbie, I'll get you to kind of like, I'm curious about your experience of meeting Ryan and doing that project yeah. with him. But something I'm curious um, for you, Ryan, is, um, you know, a big thing that Robbie and I have talked about, and one of the biggest things for me was kind of like, that moment of um, that that there's kind of snap clarity of like looking back on your whole life and just being like fuck yeah. and I'm just kind of curious like like what I'm, I'm, I'm curious if there's things that you because for me when I looked back in retrospect I was textbook but just not uh, physically hyperactive mm-hmm. so that was what kind of why I stayed under the radar and I'm kind of curious if there's things that you've you know, looking back on, on your life that you were like, oh yeah, in retrospect, it was right there. Um, it's kind of tough because, I mean, I do look back and think, oh, well, I mean, I can think of probably thousands and thousands of situations <laughs> I'm completely embarrassed that I was participating in. Um, but to look back, I mean, it's, I mean, cause I, I'm not hyperactive. I, maybe I was like as a teenager, but only when I was around people that I was really comfortable with, when I would be like fully open, that I could be like hyper and excited. And, right. And that was me. And some people knew me. The very first full time job I ever got was this man that saw me like, I think he went to our church or something, and he saw me like just hanging out with my buddies and I, whatever. I was ripping around doing whatever. Mm. 17, 18 year old kid. And then he came up to me and said, You know, I just love your energy. Like, there's something <laughs> about you. I, he, he owned a, a sheet metal company and basically he wanted to bring me into his company and make me an apprentice and, and give me a career. Nice. Amazing. Totally. Like I was honored and I did that and I quit that because <laughs> I didn't want, that's not what I wanted to do. I mean, it wasn't necessarily the work. It was really the person that I worked with. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a, a, a good lesson for me early on to know that about myself that like, I just... I mean, I've quit every single job that I've had for different reasons. But, that, I mean, the main reason is that I just don't put up with shit that I don't want to put up with. Like, jobs are not that important to me. Mm. Um, um, so the hyperactivity here, I totally took it off. <laughs> but it was, so that's, that's the hyperactivity part of me. But it's the inattentiveness that is, like, was the real thing. Because, you know, when I was in elementary school, I was a great student. Mm-hmm. Top of the class, I was school president I was on you know I was really participating in school and feeling good like that I could do a good job of it mm-hmm. and then as I got older I kind of like I lost trust in the people that were taking care of me mm. looking mm-hmm. after me um, just because the decisions were made in my life that I didn't get a say in and I felt like I should have had a say in because of I was trying to prove how good I was that was my main mission as a kid and then when, when these decisions came along I said I don't know screw this and I just threw all of that trying to be good so <clears throat> when I got later on in school it wasn't necessarily that I wasn't a good student it's that I didn't want to be a good student I was <laughs> very um, determined to rebel and to be bad and to get kicked out of school like these were my goals like <laughs> completely opposite from from grade 7 to grade 8 wow but it was mainly because um, decisions were made for me that I didn't agree with and nobody talked to me about it. It was yeah. just things that I had to go and do. Mm-hmm. Um, so that being said, is like half of my school is like I didn't give a shit. But I, if I did, I feel like I 
probably could have done better, you know? And it set me up for a completely different path. So whether that, I mean, mm. whether that's attributed to ADHD or just having a tough upbringing of, of feeling that way in general, but do those feelings come be stronger because I have ADHD? Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot of that. I mean, um, not that I had a lot of rejection as a child from parents or anything like that, but there's lots of times where yeah, I moved without knowing I was going to move, right? Mm -hmm. So it's mm -hmm. tough for me to look back and say, oh, well, did you feel that extreme emotion because you have ADHD or was it because you were moved from home without knowing until you were in the next destination kind of thing? Right, yeah. that's so, traumatic. So it was a lot mm -hmm. of trauma in that way in my mm -hmm. life and like even to this day like I just moved into a new place and moving into that place even though it's probably the greatest move that I've made so far it's terrifying and I reacted awful to a lot mm. of it because it's scary for me mm -hmm. um, so it's difficult for me to again attribute that to having ADHD or just having trauma mm -hmm. <laughs> or maybe one created the other I don't know right mm -hmm. so um, that's how I look back on it is like it's tougher mm -hmm. for me to kind of point at these specific things and say that that's what it could be. Right. Because I feel like there's a mixture of things that I grew up with. And honestly, a lot of the stuff that I'm telling you now about like my determination to get kicked out of school versus 365 days prior wanting to be the best kid that ever existed. Mm -hmm. um, just like all these changes I was just bringing into myself, I thought. But as, as you know, even in the last like, three, four years is only when I'm starting to discover that I even had those thoughts and feelings and mm. that like mm. these traumatic events really did affect me. Yeah. Um, that up until, you know, I, it took me about 10 years to find a therapist that I like wow. connected mm. with and it was, it's awful. And I know friends that are going through the same thing. It's like they go and see a therapist <laughs> and it just doesn't work. And mm -hmm. it feels devastating because it's so hard to go and find that help. Right. So yeah. I feel that after this long search of finally getting a therapist that I feel really comfortable with, understands me and understands what works for me, um, is where I've been able to discover myself a lot more. Right. So when I talk about traumas and stuff, is brand new for me. Wow. Brand new. Like, I just I just drank all that stuff away. I snorted mm. all that stuff away, and I smoked all that stuff away as much as possible. But I didn't know why I was doing that stuff. You know, I started out doing that stuff because it was fun. But it was fun because I didn't have to sit there and be tormented all the time, mm. right? So I just don't know those things. But it took me a long time to realize that that's what was happening. Mm. So, you know, now I'm changing my ways back to the other way. Yeah. Yeah. There's been a, a, a big a big gap in the middle of my life. It feels now, <clears throat> because of where I'm at now, that that gap is kind of like, I was just spinning around, didn't have any plans and nothing, didn't know what was going on, didn't care what was going on. And so I think that part of that is, is also the ADHD, like that's what's going on with me, right? Yeah. But, um, yeah. yeah. And something that uh, came up in some of Gabor Matthews' most recent work is mm -hmm. when he talks about how um, using substances is actually a completely healthy response to trauma mm -hmm. um, because our systems can't cope. Mm -hmm. So um, for a lot of people, uh, and I'm not advocating to get addicted to anything <laughs> by any stretch <laughs> of the imagination, <laughs> but for some folks, um, myself included, that was just kind of the only way to deal until I was ready to deal. For sure. Right. That's exactly uh, how I feel about it. It's like yeah. that was just getting me by. And even my therapist, you know, I told her, I said, I think I need to stop smoking pot. 
and she said to me like why do you want to do that and I said well you know because I feel like I smoke too much sometimes and this is the only person that's ever said this sort of thing to me she said it works for you doesn't it <laughs> so why do you want to quit if it works for you why would you want to quit yeah. and I think like, I didn't even know how to answer that wow. I, I couldn't <laughs> yeah. believe that somebody was saying that to me because I was I do smoke because it works for me mm-hmm. like um, yeah, like I figured out that like when I'm in certain situations, I have a little puff of weed or something, <laughs> I'm fine. Yeah. But if I don't, I'm a wreck. Like I, very high anxiety. Mm. It's actually coming here was one of the first times that I haven't had anxiety mm. going to do something. Because mm. normally if, if this is the sort of thing, like I got something to do at three o'clock, I'm up at seven in the morning and I'm not doing anything yep. until three o'clock, right? Yeah, yeah. three o'clock appointment. Clear my it. calendar and nothing else is <laughs> happening. Just pacing today. pacing circles, doing yeah. the ADHD loops until the <laughs> yeah. thing uh, so. uh, needs to happen. Yeah. yeah. I'm just glad that you feel um, that you can trust us enough to have that feeling of, of safety and calmness, like coming to have a conversation, mm-hmm. right? For sure. I mean, you guys are uh, honestly a big inspiration to me to be able to talk about it. Um, so, I mean, I, I just learned a lot from, from you. So it's more exciting than, than nerve-wracking. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. I had one more question before you're um, No, yeah. Uh, you talked a little bit about in your career and the people that you worked with when mm-hmm. you didn't jive with them. Mm-hmm. And you also mentioned kind of your trust being violated within your family. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's a really important piece of this. Jordan has touched on it too. Like he can do almost any job provided he really enjoys his coworkers and he respects them. And I feel the same way. Like totally. I can't work with people I don't respect. Yeah. One thing I always say is like when I go to work, I just want to work. So when I'm working with people that are kind of like screwing around and like want to make jokes instead of getting the job done, I'm like so aggravated with them. Like just do the job and then let's screw around, you know? But that's one thing about me is like, same thing as if, if like that's the thing is like if I don't like the boss I'm just gonna quit today. <laughs> I had a boss one time where, and I've done this in a number of jobs where it gets boring. So what I was mm. doing is I was creating a job proposal. I was creating my own job within the company because you're working at these jobs where someone quits and you get their duties. Another person quits, you get their. So now you're doing four or five yeah. jobs, right? Mm. And that happens at a lot of places. So I would just mm-hmm. create like I would just pick the things that I was really good at really interested in how it was going to benefit the company I'd create these proposals and go to the boss and say hey what I'm doing now is boring I'm not doing a good job at it but if I was able to do this I think I could do a better job and here's why and I would lay it out and every single boss that I gave that to was like man thanks for doing this this is great and we're going to implement this amazing except for this one boss that I had he hired me as his administrative assistant he was the CEO of a, a company and he was a, a real anal prick. Nobody <laughs> liked him and lots of people quit, right? And mm-hmm. so I committed one year to being his administrative assistant and it was a torturous, boring year of like making sure that his pants were pleated correctly. Just like <laughs> oh lame, God. lame stuff, right? And so the year came up, same thing, people quitting, I'm getting their duties and you know, it's just piling on me. So I did that. I just wrote the proposal and I picked the things that I wanted to deal with. And it was a photography company. I was just kind of going to school for photography and like, okay, well, I'm going to dip into these areas that are really interesting to me and they're going to like spur me ahead and where I want to go. And uh, so I, you know, I had control of his calendar, booked myself a little appointment in there and we <laughs> sat down at his desk and I went through my, hey, David, you know, this is what's happening and here's how I think I'll benefit the company if I can do these things and the two pages stapled together and I put it on his desk and he's just kind of staring at me 
and he doesn't really read it. He just kind of like lifts the corner and flips up in the second page and I've done my spiel and he just goes, well, I mean, if you don't like what you're doing, I could cut you loose today. And I said, no, that's okay. And I went back to my desk and I typed up my letter of resignation and I printed it on his printer. And then I just walked into his office and pulled it out later and I said, like, you don't have to let me go because I quit. And I walked out. But I mean, I've done that sort of thing. Like I, I always try to make it work mm. at first, right? Because there mm. are ways. And, and I've discovered that like bosses like it when you're up front. Like, mm -hmm. I've had some hilarious... Have you seen the movie Office Space? Sure. Oh, of course, so I have this yeah. really great Classic. story about my Office Space mm. experience. <laughs> I worked as a kitchen designer. Um, I got the job through my dad, who was working through for these companies. And uh, at one point, my dad was let go. It was a big company. They lost money, so they, they cut a bunch of people. He got a job with the competitors the next day. He had no problem. <laughs> he was very respected in the industry. I stayed there. And I, everybody was like, wow, I can't believe you stayed. I can't. I'm like, mm -hmm. like, why? This is my job. Like, it's not his job. It's my job. And, uh, you know, so we go through like six months of this. And finally, from the head office, two guys show up. And they rent a suite in the hotel next door. And they're bringing everybody one by one interviews. And I know. I've been working there. Everybody's scared. They didn't replace this general manager that they fired. Everybody is looking over their shoulders. So... <laughs> Here comes my time to go talk to the Bobs. And I walk in there and I'm just like, I'm a skid. Like, I'm like a 24-year-old. Like, I probably reek of booze. I'm just like gross. And I have this design job. I don't know what's going on. But so I don't care. Like, I really, I couldn't get care less. Like, I walk into this Bobs meeting and sit down across the desk from them. And the first, the, all they say to me is, oh, Ryan, you have a unique position, you know, you, you know, your father was working, blah, blah, blah. So how do you think things are going? Oh, and boy. I was, I, I, like I said, I didn't care. I was so honest. <laughs> I just said, you know what, you guys? It looks like you're blowing it big time. And they're like, what are you talking about? And I was like, well, you fired an important position in this company and you haven't replaced it for six months. Not one person likes working here right now because every single person is scared of getting fired. And you guys roll up and you think you're going to interview everybody and get honest answers. Like, you're, you're crazy. You don't know what you're doing. You're losing it here. And they're like, Brian we're so sorry and they like flip over their laptop and they're showing me charts about plans and I, I I don't I don't care I don't care and I'm not telling them that but okay okay you know they're like trying to thank you for your candor so appreciated great awesome I'll see you later next morning is now the general meeting because they spoke to everybody so we're all now we ought to meet first thing in the morning I'm late of course I'm late, I'm late. <laughs> And everybody's in this conference room. They're all sitting in their rows of chairs, podium at the front. And I get in, you know, I'm at the back. I'm making a tea real quick. And maybe I'll get a muffin or something. I'm clinking all the dishes and everything. And they start the meeting. And they're like, <clears throat> okay, so we met with everybody yesterday. We had some really great interviews. Um, before we start, we just want to talk about one interview in particular that really stood out to us. It was very honest. Ryan Wagner, and I'm at the back, like, hung over. Oh, like, my God. I was just, like, so embarrassed. Like, don't put me on the spot right now. In turn, they gave me a promotion and a raise. <laughs> oh, my God. And I, 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 love couldn't, it. I couldn't believe it. But that was, like, <laughs> I, you know, but those were lessons that I had learned with how I had behaved at previous jobs is, like, mm. just be yourself and say what's on your mind. Like, I'm not so tied to a company. It's the same thing with, like, I just got a new phone. 
and I had it when I went in. It was an Apple iPhone, and the guy showed me all these iPhones, mm. and I just kind of asked him, "Is there anything else?" Because I saw a cheaper iPhone on their website, and mm. he goes to me, "Well, I got this other one, but most iPhone users only want iPhones." Like. I don't care. Like, I just want something good. Like, I'm not a brand loyalist at mm. all, even if I'm working for the brand. Like, I don't <laughs> care. That those are the things that are important to me. It seems really silly to me sometimes for somebody to be like, I want that thing because it's made by that. Like, I want yeah. it because it's good. I don't care who makes it. But uh, So I look at bosses the same way. It's like, I don't have, I'm not loyal to you. Yeah. What are you actually doing for me? Not really that much. As I've discovered, like, I can do what they were doing by myself which is what I'm wearing now, right? So, Such a cool perspective. Um, and I think it's so important, too, because I think one of the hard lessons I learned in my last full-time gig mm -hmm. was that I was trying so desperately to fit into this weird hierarchy that I didn't really grasp, yeah. that I wasn't fully being myself. And I was mm -hmm. trying to... I was doing a lot of masking. I was, like, pretending to care about things I gave zero fucks about. Um, <laughs> but there were also... There was also some good work being done in the organization, but I felt like that was kind of, like, being stymied by people that were just, like, too attached to the hierarchy. And if I had been a little bit more honest... Actually, I was pretty honest sometimes in the <laughs> kitchen. Maybe too much yeah. so. And maybe that was kind of to my detriment. But I just, I just have a lot of respect for your perspective because I think people think the word career, mm -hmm. and we were just talking about this uh, on last week's show, um, and they think longevity and commitment, and mm -hmm. you got to show that you've been at this joint for five mm -hmm. years and progressively getting promoted. Mm -hmm. But really, if you're being hired to do something very specific that only you can do, fuck it. Like, you shouldn't have to pretend that you're you know, this, like, loyalist or whatever. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, maybe part mm -hmm. of it is is with my upbringing. Like, you know, the amount of homes I've lived in, the amount of schools I went to. And, not, I mean, not even just living with my parents after I left living with any adults on my own. Like, the amount of places I've moved to and from. And so I think that that's just, like, how I am now. Is like, things last a couple of years and I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. You know, so in my mentality, mm -hmm. I remember being, like, 17, 18 years old, playing in a band and wanting to go on tour, and like that's what I wanted to do. I was booking tours, and I would play with people that would say, "Well, I can't go on tour. I, I have to work." And I, in my head, I'm thinking, "Like, quit your fucking job. <laughs> what do you mean you have to work? Like, what is so great about your minimum wage job that you can't find in two weeks when we come back from tour?" Because mm. that's what I would do. It's like. I tried to quit jobs. They wouldn't let me quit. <laughs> they would say, no, go, do your thing, but come back. Please come back. You know, so I just take a leave of absence all the time. But in my mm. mind, that's what it is. It's like, why are we so loyal to scraping by? Right. Like, there's so many bigger things for us to, to mm. be o o okay, or not even okay, but feeling like you have to scrape by is yeah. something that, I've, I mean, I scrape by my whole life. So it makes no difference to me. It's not like I'm going to do like a better version of it by keeping this job for another year because they're all just like crappy low-paying jobs. Right, and that's why they call them odd jobs, right? Like it's gig work, right? Like yeah. you're not supposed to be fully loyal. And I always found that really breathtaking like back when I worked in restaurants when I was younger when they would command absolute or demand absolute loyalty from mm. you but only give you like a couple shifts a week but then exactly. you kind of had to be on call for the other shifts it's exactly. like well no fuck that like um i did end up working at a couple you know working at highs was pretty decent because your schedule was pretty much set mm -hmm. but most restaurants still do that mm -hmm. and they're still paying minimum wage and you're still getting maybe the same amount of tips like that i used to get back in the day right, yeah. um unless you're making like a couple hundred bucks a shift it's not fucking worth it yeah 
And even then, there's, you know, there's lots of fine dining joints. Like, you, you know, That's I, I just think, yeah, you got to live instead of um, just kind of doing what's safe. But at the same time, you need to do what's safe because well, you got to pay the bills. That security, there's so much to be said about it. I mean, as uh, like I work for myself, so I've even over just last the last four months have I convinced myself to stop worrying about where that next job's going to come because I've been working for years where it's it, it works. So instead of like telling myself, oh my god, next month I only have one job book. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? By the time the next month's over, I was totally fine in the first place. So mm. I just recently discovered or like convinced myself, like don't worry about it. What you're doing is working. You know, you can build and make that better, but don't stress and drag yourself backwards, right? But it's difficult. Yeah. It's super hard. Yeah, that's something that for me, I, I can definitely identify with. Like, um, I was much more security f and stability focused as a younger person. Mm -hmm. I think partly because I didn't, you know, um, I didn't understand myself as well as I do now, certainly. Um, and, and yeah, and, and so I think that, um, yeah, it, it's been interesting to kind of like get away from that and, and not have to worry about that because that's not, that doesn't, consistency and, um, that kind of thing doesn't play that well to our strengths as, as ADHD people. Sure, and yeah. so, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. I, I know the same thing about myself. I know that I'm going to fly by the seat of my pants and do whatever this thing is at the last second. Yeah. And it'll turn out fine. Cause that's how I've been doing it my whole life. Right. But you know, instead of just like accepting that and then enjoying the time, I'm just like beating myself up about how I haven't done the thing yet, even mm -hmm. though I know mm -hmm. I'm going to do it, you know, whatever Saturday night at 6 PM. Like that's, <laughs> that's how it's going to go every yeah. time. But yeah. yeah. Um, so, so do you want to talk a little bit about your portrait project? Um, and then Robbie, you can kind of talk about your experience with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, the portrait project was just something that I came up with to help me understand ADHD when I was being diagnosed with it. Um, so what that consists of is like people contacting me saying I have ADHD and I'm an adult let's do this let's get together mm -hmm. um, so with that you know I'll, I'll meet with the person usually outside and we'll go for a walk um, this was kind of the template for it because when mm. I showed up and met you I was like well, okay what are we going to do and I just went with it and that was became the template for what we're gonna, what I was going to do moving forward mm. so really it was it, it's just kind of a walk around chat about what ADHD means to you how it affects you and it's a conversation back and forth we find some spots to take some nice portraits um, and then after the fact obviously I'll post couple portraits and then I'll send an email with a question for each person to answer um, the, the question is what does ADHD mean to you essentially mm -hmm. that kind of a question um, and then they can reply I always say like reply with one word or ten pages doesn't matter however you want to present it is that's the whole purpose of yeah. it to show all of that diversity in it as well mm -hmm. and then I've been compiling those on my website as people send them some people uh, mm -hmm. five six weeks ago still haven't sent anything <laughs> I don't care you know they'll mm -hmm. get to it when they do and I, I'll do a reminder in a bit but um, mm -hmm. so yeah I mean just through that I, I find it um, number one is a really good way for people to see the type of people that are that have ADHD and it's a huge variety of people um, number two is to hear people talk about it um, like it's no big deal yeah you know not make it into this big special thing <laughs> it's mm. like there's lots of us there and it's just it's just it's fine it's normal 
I don't, you know, I don't want to feel like it's different. It's just a normal. It's just how I've always been, you know. And mm-hmm. I was aiming for it, so I don't want to make it this special thing. I wanted to make it open and easy to talk about. And uh, uh, through the project, it's interesting the messages that I get from mm. people. You know, I'll give you one example. Is this man? He sends me a message on Instagram, and he said, "Hey, you know my daughter. My daughter pointed me in your direction. I'm 69 years old. Nice. I think I have ADHD." And I'm freaking out because I'm mm. thinking about my life and how it could have been different, blah, blah, blah. And so I just gave him the same advice that was given to me, talk to your doctor, because that's <laughs> where it starts. You have to say mm-hmm. to your doctor, I have this thing. And that's that's how you start it, right? Yeah. And so that's just, it's simple. It's easy. And everybody feels like it's this, or it seems as though people that are curious about themselves, and if they do have ADHD, that they really don't know where to start. It's, mm-hmm. It was quite interesting that I didn't know either, but when you find out how really how simple it is, and people are going to help you along the way, yeah. Um, so I've just been able to point a, a bunch of people in that direction, which makes me feel good because it's the same thing when I talk about f- trying to find a therapist for ten years, and how hard that was, and like it's just mm-hmm. really hard to first of all say, I think I need to talk to somebody. Yep. Yeah. Like it's really hard. Like I feel, I'm feeling emotional just saying that out loud, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I have an, uh, a friend that in the last two years or so, uh, also looking for a therapist, like just reaching their breaking point and mentioning it to me. So I've taken it upon myself to find them a therapist because mm-hmm. I know for myself that it's, it's just, it's difficult in a way that like, you want to feel better, yeah. but you don't want to feel bad. Mm-hmm. You know? So you don't want to feel exposed. Feeling better... But feeling bad is just a hard rock to climb out from underneath, especially if you're like 30, 40 years old and you've never done this before and you don't know yeah. what it's like to talk to somebody and who to talk to. So mm-hmm. I've, I've been like finding myself being like, don't do anything, I'll take care of it. You just sit there and don't worry about it, just be about, you know, like, and then like trying to find them ways to find a th- affor- affordable therapy, which is mm-hmm. difficult. I have found a couple places that do intern therapy, which is like yeah. $30 a session kind of thing, which is a really good deal for, for mm-hmm. people that don't have money to spend. Um, so... I guess through the project, through the portrait project, that's been been a role that I'm kind of like asserting myself into to make it easier for other people. Um, that's just become a big thing for me. Yeah. And mm-hmm. a lot of it's just because of my own difficulties. Like when I think about, like I can feel right now just wanting to talk about it, a weight on my chest. I'm thinking about those mm. days where I'm like sitting at the tip of Stanley Park, bawling my eyes into my car because I don't know what the fuck is wrong. Mm-hmm. I don't have anybody to talk to and those sorts of things. Like, I don't want people to go through those right. hard, hard feelings when they don't have to in the end, right? Mm-hmm. When there is help out there, right? So just to let people know there's that people want to help. And that's one thing that I've discovered. People do want to help, right? Yes. Um, whether Absolutely. they know how to or not is a different story. It is a different story. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, it's interesting because problem solving is is a big part i think mm-hmm. of the adhd experience mm-hmm. and justice sensitivity um a need to help uh when when you see people mm-hmm. suffering and and not being able to not do that like you kind of yeah. have to do it um, yeah, because you, you have so much empathy right you yeah. understand what that feels it's like it's the empathy that's one mm-hmm. thing that, yeah. that i've discovered is like uh it's interesting discovery to find out that people don't have empathy yes like mm. it's quite mind-blowing to me to have met 
people that don't have empathy or don't understand, don't want. I don't know what that is. I don't even know how to start with that because, mm. I mean, I feel it. Just come. I parked on the corner over there, and like just the guys hanging out from my car I was like, oh man, like, yep. I just want to like, you know, <clears throat> it's constant. And so to find that that isn't a, a normal thing is, is a little devastating. I don't know. It's, mm-hmm. it's a huge bummer. <laughs> Yeah, because yeah. you feel things. I mean, I'm speaking for myself here, and, mm-hmm. and we'll see if you feel the same way, but you feel things, I, I feel things so deeply. Mm-hmm. When I see somebody suffering, I, yeah, I just I feel it physically in my body, mm-hmm. and I can't, I can't not address it in some way. Mm-hmm. If I have cash or if I have food on me, it's going to that person I see suffering. I can't, yeah. I can't ignore it. Um, and what, what you're describing, and it's interesting because there was all these comments coming out around the, the CBC article around yeah. getting ADHD diagnosis in BC, and I saw you in the comment section saying, feel free to DM me, you know, um, we don't have to do this Someone privately. And I was like, Ryan's in there right on because like there, there did appear to be a lot of folks who were like, I don't know where to start. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to find somebody. It's expensive to go to a private clinic. Most walk-in clinics, like they don't, they have a sign right on the door saying we don't prescribe ADHD right. medication. So if you're starting to consider those things, and that's the first barrier you come across. Exactly. That's why it's so amazing you're doing this, because I think based on, you know, your ever-growing audience, Mm -hmm. I think that more people that know this, the better, Mm -hmm. that they don't have to suffer alone on this, right? That's right. Um, And especially that initial grief period, it's really important to have support. Yeah. And then your first therapist might not be the right fit. I'm going through that still. And I think that that's another good thing, too, uh, of knowing that, like, just because you're going to go see a therapist, that that's going to be the right person for you. Like, uh, Mm -hmm. I have recently talked someone through that. Again, with my experience of trying to find a therapist, it's just, like, so defeating. It was just, you know, you roll into a therapist's office, and they're, like, trying to figure out who you are. Like, I've been here three times. You don't know anything about Mm -hmm. me. Uh, what's wrong with me so sorry are you, can you can you hear us right now like can, are you gonna I be able to continue i can read your lips like you're kind of muffled <laughs> but um so, so for listeners if this ends up staying in the show my hearing aids just started like interfering with their microphone because they're on a bluetooth so ah. that's probably it happens in my sister's car she'll put on the radio and my hearing aids will go scream <laughs> so it's just like so technology man Anyway, um, back to what you were, what we were talking about. That. Um, yeah, apologies for interrupting there. <laughs> I could hear it too. <laughs> that, like, even the best-meaning therapist, like, you can't just like pretend that there isn't grief around this, and that mm-hmm. it's not painful to consider what your life would have been like if you get diagnosed with ADHD mm-hmm. as an adult. And just about everybody is going to have that kind of response, right? No matter how quote successful you've been. <laughs> Definitely. Like uh, the what if. Right? Every person, every single person that I've spoken with for this project, we've talked about the, the grief for your past life the mm. mo- or the mourning of your past life. Yeah. Like, and that's what it is. It's just like, how would I approach things differently? How would I have, how would my relationships have been different? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Would I have gotten into certain relationships? You know, just all these things. But at the same time, it's like, there's really no use in sitting there and like thinking back 40 years of my life and being like, oh, if I could have only. Because <laughs> I'm 40, so it doesn't matter, man. Like, I gotta now make it to 60 or whatever, you know? Like, there's mm-hmm. so much more ahead of me that that I'm trying, I try to limit that grieving period for myself because part of the grieving is also feeling like what I did was wrong. 
or who I was was yeah. bad. And that's not true. I wasn't wrong. Or, well, maybe I was bad and wrong, but, mm. you know, like, at the core, I'm not a, that, a bad person because I didn't know I had ADHD and I reacted super emotionally to this situation. It doesn't make me a bad person, but if I knew, it would just help me understand and maybe be able to move forward quicker in yeah. my, in, within myself than mm. I have, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that, that looking back is like, it's tough because I don't want to live in the past. I already struggle with that too much. Me too. That I don't want to constantly lay there at night and think about horrible situations that I've done or been a mm. part of or didn't want to be a part of or said or somebody said to me. Like, those things drive me crazy and I just want to stop, you know? It won't mm. stop. But so I'm trying to make a better effort to, like, push my thoughts into the future rather than into the past. And mm. it has made a difference in my life for sure. Like, um, yeah, I start to make things happen a little bit better. Not that I wasn't able to make things happen, but I just feel like I'm starting to have a bit more of focus because those things that we could become so distracting. Mm. Um, re- relationships is a big one. That would come, become so distracting. I learned to, you know, feeling heartbreak and just like not sleeping and waking up and thinking about that person all the time like I've learned at one point to say to myself you know in a month or three months whatever the time period is you're not going to be feeling this at all so Mm. why are you doing this to yourself and I started to say that to myself every night before I went to bed instead of sitting up and thinking about that person and how I suck or how they suck or whatever the situation is to like all these feelings of tension and stress and butterflies and inability to sleep or eat or all of this is going to be gone in at, at a certain point so why don't we start focusing on when it's gone instead of being so consumed by it oh yeah when i started to like it wasn't instant by any means but <laughs> I always tried to keep that in my mind um it helped that at one point when i was doing that a friend was also confiding me in me about their heartbreak and i said hey this is something i'm trying to do and mm. when i told them that stuck within me Mm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it was just like that's the thing is like it's really a struggle to not look at every single second of my life and regret it or whatever (laughs) (laughs) it's not all bad but um looking forward is just so much nicer yeah um i think you're bringing up something for me uh, that I think the recovery and 12-step community really get right mm-hmm. is that being in service to other people and taking yourself outside of your own suffering um, ends up having kind of like a double um, positive impact in that you, you you stop thinking about your own drama mm-hmm. and then you're helping when you're helping somebody else. And so both people start to feel more connected, mm-hmm. including yourself. And even if you're not doing it, because I can tell you're not doing it from a place of self-interest. Yeah, no. But you're building community, it, and then you also suffer less as a result of that. Yeah. Right? It's I think interesting that that's that you amazing. say that, that because uh, I do some volunteering, and that's how that makes me feel. But just hearing you say that is making me realize that that's how it's making me feel. It's like mm-hmm. the, the, the people that I see every Friday for my volunteer, and it's like I go to different people's houses through the morning, and... Uh, uh, drop off food and have a little visit with them uh, and all of those people have really hard horrible lives and I like to be a person that can show up and like maybe take that away for a little bit mm. and like you say it's like 
I mean, I like doing that. I really like to. I book it so that I don't work on Friday, so that I can go do that. Yeah. Um, but um, so yeah, that's interesting mm. to bring that up because I never really consider that. Mm-hmm. that, that and you're doing actually... it intuitively. That's <laughs> what I find so interesting about it. It's not like you said, okay, mm-hmm. step six or whatever yeah, yeah, it is. No, like it you just, just that, like started just doing it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. I guess just having other things to, to focus on helps you not focus on those things you, that are not positive, right? Hmm. Let me know if I'm yelling because i got my hearing aids nope, out. you're so doing I great. I speak louder when I take them out because nope. I have no idea how loud I am. <laughs> Sounds great. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, so there's there's a lot of kind of like, you know, I feel like a, a community-mindedness to some of your other projects, too. Um, so before mm-hmm. before this ADHD portraiture project, you did a project at the start of lockdown called Through the Window. Do you want to talk about that a bit? Yeah, I was actually just going to bring it up, and what I was just saying is, like, mm-hmm. you know, um, that project was really fun for me in that point. It was, it was early in the pandemic, so we're all kind of scared. We don't know what we're doing. We're just trying to stay inside and, like hope everything's okay and so I started a portrait project of photographing people in their homes during this time Mm -hmm. and it became a real big thing like I got media coverage and Mm. it was cool and interesting and it was again one of those situations where it's like okay well the morning news called and they want to show up in a portrait shoot tomorrow morning and I don't want to be on tv and I don't want to be a face of this at all but I have to, <laughs> so I forced myself to go and do it. So it was a bit, a bit, uh, some good things for me. But I ended up um, putting a book out and doing mm-hmm. a, a gallery show. Um, but one thing that I really liked about that is showing up to people's houses during this kind of like scary, unforeseen time, and. It reminded me of when well, I worked as an ice cream man for a couple months one summer. <laughs> I had nothing to do, so I just went. You just have to show up and say I want to do, and they give you a truck. But <laughs> they, it's that easy. Wow, <laughs> it is that easy. <laughs> a glittering well, we career in ice cream I was like, service. I'll deliver an East Man, and they just like. <laughs> but, it, but so everybody's stoked to see the ice cream man, right? So doing this mm. portrait, this um, um, pandemic. Um, portrait project it was it was very similar to that ice cream man job it was like i showed up everything was stoked because they weren't doing anything i was the thing they were doing that day so mm. it was a really fun experience to have like first of all like yeah everybody's excited that you're there um and then how people reacted to that because some people would you know they would be looking so good and i'd be like oh your hair looks amazing and like oh i washed my hair for the first time in two weeks <laughs> And they're all dressed up and nice, and that was awesome. And then other people be in their pajamas and slippers and drinking a coffee and be like, no, I want it to be how I actually am every day. And so all these really cool um, people just, like, expressing themselves through my project, which Mm. which is a really cool part of it. I met so many many people that I'm not friends with, too, that I didn't know before showing up to their house to, like, photograph them uh, at the pandemic. But some people, it's like, you know, you just... A lot of it is like, you know, I photographed someone just down the street over here, and I actually never met her. She lived in the third floor of this old apartment, so I had to go a block away and climb this other building mm. to photograph her. Cool. And I just had my phone on speaker and her phone on speaker, and so we spoke a block away, and I, okay, tilt your head, okay, maybe if you put your hands over here, and, the, and I did the whole shoot, and I still have never met her. That's hilarious. <laughs> I love that, it was like, that's what was so fun, and especially like, at the, on those days they're going to do is like March, April, May into June. I, the city was beautiful because 
because nobody was out. Mm. I was go. I I felt guilty first of all because I was having a lot of fun going out <laughs> and doing this project. And I, you know, I'm photographing six, seven people a day, ripping all over. It takes me ten minutes from get from one end of the city to the other. Traffic, <laughs> and I get home and I'm just like. So I'd be like, oh, you know, oh, pandemic, COVID, this is really right. great. How are you doing? And they like, oh, dear. Uh, I feel great right now. <laughs> Life is amazing. Like, people are supporting my art. And, like, I'm just, I was feeling really good. But, you know, mm. it wasn't really, it was because of other people that I was feeling really good. That's yeah. that's what it comes down to. And it is this community-minded project. And when you say that, I, mm. ne- I never really think of myself as that. But I have a friend of mine we're all friends and she knows me pretty well and she calls me out on shit. We, I mean, I don't think we've hung out for a really long time, but she would always be a person that would like call me out on the shit. Mm. And I love those people. I love them so much because that's what I want. When I'm blatantly honest with people, I want them to do that to me. Mm-hmm. Right? I want you to say, hey, Ryan, you know you did that thing and you were an asshole. Don't, I wouldn't do that, you know? Or, right. hey, that was really, you know, that was really cool that you did that. Like, prop you up or mm. like, keep you in check. <laughs> and she said to me, we were doing the, this um, musical group, and there's, like, 20 people in it. And she said to me in a very sarcastic way, oh, so uh, you're brought together 20 people to do this thing. Big surprise. And I, that was a time when I thought to myself, I was like, what are you, like, what are you, are you dissing me? She's like, no, he's like, that's what you do. You manage mm-hmm. to, like, bring people together. Like, you have a house. You manage to, like, get people in it, that will, you know. Um, so I always take that as a compliment because, again, it's not, I'm not doing it intentionally. Just, like, this, when I get excited about something, I just want people to be excited about it, too. And yeah. if you're excited enough to want to do it with me, that's the best, the best compliment ever, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think something my, my sister had said, actually, around that, that similar time in the pandemic, she was at the time in school at Western in Ontario, and she got like just this little gig doing stuff for the library archives, like mm-hmm. filming things. And, she, and at the time, people were like, oh, I don't know if you should be doing that. Shouldn't you just stay home or right. whatever? And she was like, well, I could stay home and watch the world fall apart. Right. And watch my mental health go down the train with it, mm-hmm. or I could go do this thing that's going to at least kind of keep me going for a little while. Exactly. And yeah. sometimes I think that is the better solution. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I was so busy the first three months of the pandemic with a full time job, I didn't even experience that. Right. Right. But then I did afterwards, like, and I was like, oh mm-hmm. shit, like I'm circling the drain, I got to get out of the house. Well, that's how I started yeah. the project, honestly, is like, you know, March 12th, I think was the day, and I just got email after email from client after client saying, we can't do this anymore we can't we're not doing our event so you can't come photograph it i had one job at the end of it that was like a bottle company so we photographed a bunch of bottles and that was it i had no work (laughs) and in my mind i'm thinking like oh shit i'm gonna get really depressed i know it i know it and i just knew in my head like i need to not sit at home and just like kill myself like i can't do that so i made this effort just go to the studio i don't have a plan i don't know what i'm gonna do i started going to the studio i'm gonna go to the grocery store and i bought some food and i'm gonna figure out how to photograph this and i ended up photographing a roll of toilet paper which i had spray painted gold and i made this like fine art print of it and that was the first one i put that up and people were like this is amazing and i sold like tons of prints so it started to get me feel more inspired and I was just like, that's it. I was just going to the studio and just like making it up just to do mm-hmm. something so that I wouldn't sit at home. <clears throat> and that's where this project, the portrait project to like photograph people at home came. It was like the only time I think in my entire life that I came up with an idea before I went to sleep 
and remember the next morning. <laughs> <laughs> it's always amazing when that happens. It's like meant to be. So, that, um, <laughs> so that's what it was. So I was following this, like, oh, because, you know, I like doing portraits and, like, we're doing this. Oh, man, it would be so great to document people during the... And then next morning, I'm putting up the Facebook post. Hey, if anybody's interested in doing some portraits, like, quarantined in home or whatever you want to call it, let's do this. Ten minutes later, I get my first email, and then it didn't stop for four months. Wow. It was awesome. I loved it. And honestly, like, the support that I got from people, not just, like, um, just for the project, but people were paying me to do it as well. So mm -hmm. me losing all of my work also became no issue because now people were supporting me. Wow. just for like doing this project so again like I was feeling great I was feeling mm -hmm. like I was doing it at the time when the world was like doing nothing <laughs> so it was yeah. confusing at the same time like I wanted to I almost wanted to hide it like I didn't want people to know that I was feeling really good because mm. nobody really felt it didn't seem like anybody was feeling good right so that became a part of my yeah okay okay <laughs> so things are fine <laughs> You know, same old, same old. <laughs> it totally wasn't. <laughs> it's super funny. For for a moment there, yeah. uh, just because we're all sitting around, I got in my head that we were recording at my house, and I was going to take uh, you over to show you that toilet paper print hanging oh, yeah, in the bathroom. Uh, yeah, because I got, I got one of those, and I got one of your orange prints, yeah, too. Yeah, so that um, was those were the first things that yeah. I did, the, the orange that I spray-painted blue. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny, I was with uh, my friends to watch a hockey game the other night, and same thing, I went to his washroom, and I was like, oh, there's the, there's the golden toilet paper. <laughs> so, no, my it's a great print. My stepmom has one, too, and nice. she bought some for her friends. Yeah, that one really went, went along. But it's a fun one, yeah, I like that. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a very funny, yeah. funny riff when, yeah. when people were just fucking hoarding at the it start of weird, it. Just bizarre, bizarre stuff. Yeah. Um, so, Robbie, do you kind of want to talk about you and Ryan meeting um, mm. and, and yeah. getting photographed and just kind of that experience? Maybe mm. for for people who might be wondering if if uh, you know booking a session with Ryan is mm. going to be right for them. Yeah, yeah. I'll plug my ears. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think it was. It was, such, it was such a cool experience because I remember it was in the spring, cherry blossoms were everywhere. And and I remember thinking to myself, this guy's going to think I'm such a cheese ball if I even suggest that we do a photo in front of cherry blossom. <laughs> and we did talk about that and you yeah. were kind of like, oh, it's kind of cheesy. And I'm like, yeah, I know. This. And then it ended up being... We did it in the end. You though. did. Yeah. And I'm using that on all my social <laughs> yeah, media. And the, the CBC just used it on their website um, and on the six o'clock news. Um, so... What I think was so cool about the experience too was that it was it was like an immediate deep dive, mm -hmm. right? Definitely. That we literally met at Eighth and You, and then it was just like doop doop, and yeah. and we were just like walking around Kitsilano and people in Kitsilano being people in Kitsilano. Mm -hmm. Some of them were being. Oh, well, there's you know, the one guy that's trying to talk to us or something. Oh, that, well, that that I too. I was I was thinking more about you know the uptight pricks like walking <laughs> by us like when we were trying to take pictures because oh, yeah. that's I obsess about that unnecessarily. Um, but we did have that experience where um, somebody, um, yeah, he was he was collecting bottles and, and it would have been fine, but he kept saying something, he said something really derogatory, I think, about what we were doing. Yeah. And, and you, like, it really took you out of the moment in such a way that I could really see, like, how painful that was for you. Because mm -hmm. you were just like... You just completely interrupted my train of thought, and we well, were actually thing. having this conversation. We were having this really deep conversation, and he's yeah. like busting in, exactly, trying to be funny or something. So I just kind of gave him the courteous, like, we're okay. You know, leave us alone. And he did, and he was persistent. So then I became rude to him. <laughs> 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 but it's, 
you know, if you're hanging around in alleys taking photos, yeah, yeah. like it's likely it's you're going to have an interesting conversation <laughs> as part of that. But what I what I just found was so interesting is like how direct and compassionate you were at the same time. You weren't a dick about it, but you were just like we were talking here. Well, you were my priority at that time, and I didn't appreciate him not catching the hint. Right. I think that's where I was coming from. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you de-escalated it pretty well, though, because my whole thing in situations like that is I shut down because mm-hmm. I, I can't handle conflict, right? Mm-hmm. So I'll tend to just kind of either walk away or explode in such a way that is not yeah. good for anybody. So I thought you handled that really well. Um, and just, just for me, the whole experience felt um, very connecting. And, and it just made me realize, like, how beautifully creative you are right in doing this and how that is just such a part of this experience like Mm -hmm. having adhd that um once you hyper focus on something that you really like are into like such amazing things happen from it i even have goosebumps just thinking about this because i've really appreciated every single every single portrait you put up since then they've all been so creative and the story that goes with it shows me as well that people trust you immediately and right like like i say our meeting was completely the template. I just walked in there not knowing, I didn't know anything about ADHD. I didn't know, I know I knew you from the podcast and Jordan had had connected us and everything. So I was going into it completely with zero plan and a camera in my hand. Mm. And so when we just went right into it, it just was so seamless. Like there was no plan to it that I really appreciated the... We're both very open and vulnerable with each other that we became friends right away. Mm-hmm. And I really liked that, you know, um, that ability because it's not just me, it's you as well, right? You have to be open to it as well because mm. if you're just shutting down and you don't want to talk about it, that conversation goes right, <laughs> nowhere. Right? Yeah, yeah. And I'm focusing on the, the guy yelling at us instead of you. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, when, I, when I look at it, like, the way that I felt being able to speak with you right away, right off the bat, like you said, we just went as deep as we could right away, well, it gave me the confidence to now go to the next person and, mm. and feel like that was something that I could accomplish. Mm. And it's worked every single time. And it's not Amazing. because of me, it's because of everybody is open and mm. everybody that obviously that calls me or, or contacts me over doing this project is because they want the same thing that I do. We want this to be out there so that it's not a big deal, right? In the in the end, mm-hmm. but at the same time, we really get to confide in someone that truly understands your thoughts. Like my one example that I like to say to people that I've been meeting is that there's always simultaneously three thoughts going on in my head. At least there's the song that I'm humming <laughs> in the back of my head right now, mm-hmm. right? There's what our conversation. And there's whatever the hell is happening outside that window. Right, are yeah. all happening at the same time. Yes. And look at both of you right now and know exactly what I'm talking about. You know exactly. About. Like, I'm like, but there's a cloud over <laughs> exactly. there. That exactly. I'm just We're like... all looking at something different. It's a cool reflection off that building, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and it's almost crow o'clock, too. So we may even yeah. see all the crows, like, streaming um, across the city. So to go into situations where I can say something like that... I think it's outside. Is it doing it again? No, there's oh, just there's just some sort of drone up here. It's a vacuum. Ah, uh, got it. But yeah, to go into a situation like that, just knowing that, oh, this stranger knows more about me than lots of people do, only because mm-hmm. they're having similar experiences inside their head, right? Mm-hmm. So it's pretty comforting. And I find that if I go in and say, so, like, what medications do you take? Or do you see a therapist? Like, blunt like that? 
does phases no one because <laughs> they're happy to talk about it that's what yeah. we're doing that's why we've connected i haven't dragged anybody out of their house and said we're doing this every single person has come to me and said i want to participate in this mm -hmm. i want to be a part of it so part of it is me saying like hey like well we met up and this is kind of how i felt and this is kind of what we talked about and this is where they're coming from and this is where they're going or whatever it is i feel like i got out of that conversation in an easy type digest way and then following up with the question now allowing you to say what you want right. but I'm not, I don't want to go in and record everything that we've said during the portrait session I want it to come out in a way that I felt it mm. if that makes sense mm -hmm. and I find that it is resonating with people to kind of have that experience uh, watching watching the project right yeah and that's a step beyond journalism right is, are you, is that vacuum cleaner going to be really... Yeah, it's, it's, I think, is going to be a little bit... Oh, there we are. I'm positive. There we go. Um, yeah, so sorry about that vacuum there, folks. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so Robbie mentioned there um, kind of all, of all of your creativity, and that's something that we haven't... We, we've alluded to a few times. You've mm -hmm. talked about being a musician. Um, you also, you've got a, a kind of, um, what do you call it? Erasure poetry project that's been ongoing for a number Black of years. Horoscopes? Yeah, the horoscopes. I love um, <laughs> as well as you do a podcast that's kind of tied in with your business. Um, yeah. I, I really like your show, uh, and specifically something from that that has stuck with, stuck with me mm -hmm. is um, you kind of talking about um, motivating yourself with this idea of if you're going to do it, you got to do it. Cause, mm. For yeah. sure. I mean, that's something that I've. I mean, you and me, I think you as well, Robbie, we, we kind of grow up in a, in a DIY music scene, right? Mm. Um, so that's, I mean, that's where my ethics of that coming from is like being young and feeling like nobody's going to help you out, so I just got to do it for myself. And then when I did do it for myself and it worked, well, there's, there's no turning back. Like mm -hmm. that, I just know that I can do it. And I convince myself all the time. When you were 15 years old, you just went and did this thing. So just know that you can do what you want to do. Just put the effort into it and do it. There's nothing mm -hmm. more frustrating to me than hearing somebody talk about a grand idea and then doing nothing about it. Mm -hmm. It's like I, I've, I've had conversations with people where they are, oh, I've got this plan a lot. And I'll just be like, okay, how are we going to do this? Like, let's do this. Right. Let's start right now. Yeah. We can do something right now. Yeah. We can at least get it smart. Oh, no, I don't think I'm quite there yet. Okay, never mind. Mm -hmm. You're not, not going to you're not but, ready but for me personally it's like exactly that is like it's just something that like it's not going to get done if you don't do anything about it mm -hmm. um, but creatively that's just that's just how I've always been like even the horoscope the hidden horoscopes is like I was at my friend's house he went to the bathroom I grabbed the paper and blacked out a couple of horoscopes <laughs> he came back he laughed his ass off at what I put on there and that encouraged me to just keep doing it yeah. and showing more people and the more people I showed just became a big thing and there's no like there's bed spreads and yep. shit that you can buy yeah, online and like yeah. cell phone cases and like tote bags and like cabinets. It was wild. I was looking at it earlier today because I saw you were. It was when you when you guys were out camping this summer and yeah. you had one of the tote bags on the yeah. back of your camping chair and I was like, what is this sorcery? I want one of those. <laughs> the bags. And I, I really actually, did a whole shop. I, did, I had an exhibit last December, uh, the horoscopes, and so I made the tote bags actually here. Mm. here tote bag I had a couple different things calendars I mean calendars too mm. um, yeah the horoscopes is a fun one it's another one of those things is just like it connects with people in a very interesting way a huge 
Brazilian hmm. fan base. Really? Brazil. I, it's like, I don't know if this is some celebrities in Brazil or something like that page, but uh, like most people speak Portuguese that follow me. Wow. And, uh, and a handful of Portuguese-speaking people asking me if they can do Portuguese versions of Oh, like, cool. To that which I really always cool. say, and maybe it's a bit dickish, but I always say, like, <clears throat> well, sure, if you want to do that, but if I were you, I would come up with my own idea. And that's what I say to people. It's yeah. fine that you want to do what I'm doing, but wouldn't it be more exciting to, like, think of your own thing instead yeah. of just, like, mm. copying someone else's thing? Like, sure, we all copy. Everything's copied and influenced in one way or another. But to directly yeah. come and say, hey, I'm going to do a version of what you're doing is weird to me. I'm not going to say no or send it a cease and desist order, but it just seems, it seems boring. Yeah. It doesn't mm. seem creative seems boring it seems boring but i think that social media has kind of with the reshare culture and yeah. screenshots and everything look at how creative i am because i like this thing that's creative well that's like, the thing I think, is like it's hard i always find if i'm going to do a re like on instagram which i spend a lot of time on you know you'll see this really great photograph that i really like and i'll go to the account and it'll be some curated account mm -hmm. so i always try to go back and find the original person yeah. to repost from because yeah the curated accounts they're to me they're also kind of Hmm. It's I don't know it's it's just different to me like I want to yeah. see the people I want to see all of your work I don't want to see like a photo of streetlights in fog five hundred times on, on fifty different accounts like let's see what people are doing because there's so many people doing so much work right mm -hmm. but, yeah yeah <laughs> um, yeah the social media thing I think it just kind of like dilutes things too. Um, and something that I've been really thinking about lately is is this idea that I really want to make um, a documentary project mm. about ADHD and adulthood. And I think there's a lot of legs of juiciness to it. Yeah. But I got myself a little freaked out about it. And so I've actually joined this accountability, not accountability because I don't love that word, but it's like a here's, we're going to do, you know how they do that NaNoWriMo or whatever, the November you write a book? Mm -hmm. I don't oh. know if you've ever heard of that. Yeah, National I, Novel Writing Month. Success, oh. Unsuccessfully signed up for that like two times in my writing life. <laughs> but um, this is something different and it's aimed at folks with ADHD. The woman who runs it, it has ADHD herself. But you, you spend the month getting everything in place and clearing the decks to actually execute the fucking thing. Right. And, and that has actually got me excited because I think, I think I have the capacity to do this and I have the experience and I understand how to tell a story. It's just I get so easily intimidated by any number of the social media accounts I follow <laughs> of people that are, you know, touring their dock at hot dogs or whatever. Yeah. They just got back from Portland and then I, I got all the way there. Yeah. Without realizing that those people had to start somewhere too. Well, right? yeah. yeah. The, the comparison is such a tough one. Yeah. It's like a really, really tough one. But it's important. It's it's, and I think it's the same thing as like you were saying earlier. Is like, uh, you know, I go and get busy with doing this certain thing, and then that makes me not think about the, the things I don't want to think about, or the things that are dragging me down and making me feel bad. Is the same thing as once you get involved and start doing this project. Well, then you're just focusing on this project, and you're not focusing on mm -hmm. the insecurities of not even starting the project. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Um, I think Jordan called it the grave, the graveyard of abandoned projects. Probably some point, yeah. yeah. yeah we've all got one yeah, of those, I think. Sure. Yeah. I don't I want to focus on that. It always, oh uh, it, it, it makes me think of um, on The Simpsons when, when. When I think it's like when Bart's playing guitar and he's like, "Oh yeah, don't worry about it, son. Just put it in the closet with your karate uniform <laughs> right. and your this and that and your microscope and blah blah blah." And it's just like, <laughs> "Yep." <laughs> yeah. 
Um, yeah, so I don't, hmm, I'm just trying to think of if there's anything that I really kind of stuck out that I wanted to talk about today, but I don't think so. We've talked about kind of, you know, your, your projects and your process of figuring stuff out and, um, kind mm -hmm. of what's, what's been going on for you in the last uh, year or so, I guess. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Robbie, did you have anything else or Ryan, mm -hmm. did you want to talk about anything in particular? I feel like I talked a lot. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing that you want to pimp or, oh God, I can't say that anymore. Or there's nothing that you'd like to, um, talk about, like for your next yeah, upcoming you project. Plugs for us? Or... Um, I mean, th this ADHD project is what I'm working on now. I'm building it up, and I pitched it to a couple publications. Nobody's really been interested yet, but I'll keep mm. working on it. But it's the one thing I'm doing other than, like, my photography studio. Uh, it takes a bit of my time, but I'm feeling good these days. I kind of have worked out my work-life balance really, really good right now. Mm. Um, so I'm just riding a, a, a good wave where I'm convinced myself to not stress out about making money in the future because it seems as though what I'm doing is already working. Mm -hmm. um, so just trying to get on that, that kind of mentality a bit more feels good. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. You're inspiring me to be, good. um, <laughs> a little less like buttoned down. I've been right. trying to button myself down and it hasn't been working. So I'm going to stop. Well, like I say, if you're going to do it, you got to do it. You got to do it. <laughs> and I just realized I said something publicly about that project and I wasn't going to say anything publicly about it because I want to start doing it before I say anything uh, about it because I've done that before and I say something about something and then it doesn't happen and then I feel dumb. So now you have so. to. <laughs> <laughs> that was your first step in telling us about it. <laughs> yeah. You entrapped yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, thank you so much, Ryan, for, yeah. for joining us uh, mm. here in the remote Vancouver studio. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, for, for, you know, sharing sharing your story with us um, and, and be willing to kind of put yourself out there and be vulnerable so that other people can share their stories too. You know, there's just one thing that I mentioned when I was talking about my journey to being diagnosed is that early on, right away when I spoke to my therapist, she mentioned... Uh, a clinic in Vancouver here that was a great ADHD resource and that I should contact them um, mm. for a referral and when I contacted them uh, it was quite heartbreaking at the end and it was felt very devastated mm. by being told that uh, they had like a year waiting list mm. to even begin the diagnosis process but if I was accepted I could access their resources as long as I was under 35 years old so I hung up the phone and felt yeah. terrible about myself but in the end I was able to take another step and go in a different direction so mm -hmm. it wasn't all easy and it doesn't all feel good but if you're determined I guess you can make it happen yeah and then that it's, it's such a good point that you raised that there is still um, a misinterpretation that ADHD is for for kids or young people That's and right. um, I think there is more resources starting to become available mm -hmm. and like that was a big thing about the article with the CBC yes. is that it is kind of tough to access uh, so maybe we could throw some of the links in the show notes um, about where you found some of your yeah. um, help because it, it can be completely overwhelming. So just know that uh, you're not alone in this process, that it is overwhelming uh, just as a concept to even consider. Um, and depending on where you are in the world, the resources could be different too. Um, but yeah, just thanks for sharing that, Ryan, because that is important. Like that mm -hmm. some people did mention that in the comments of the CBC thing that they 
they just can't get any help yeah, and that's really e frustrating yeah it's not not easy and smooth and quick some people like i mean some people if you have a little bit of money and you know, i have a friend that he wanted to get diagnosed and he told it was a three-month waiting list and he said well what if i give you two hundred dollars and he got in the next day <laughs> so there's that too wow <laughs> just like greasing the palm of the bouncer <laughs> right same that's idea two-tiered <laughs> health care you got fifteen hundred bucks we'll see you today <laughs> jesus yeah. so there are ways <laughs> there are ways. <laughs> oh, but anyway, no. so thanks for having me. I, like I said, I was excited to come here and, and talk with you guys and and um, yeah, share what I've been up to. Awesome. Thanks, Ryan, so much. Thanks so much. <laughs> if you enjoyed Holy Shit, I Have ADHD, subscribing to and reviewing it on your podcast platform of choice helps more neurodivergent folks find us, as does following and promoting the show on social media. A full list of platforms is on our Anchor page at anchor.fm forward slash holy shit, I have ADHD. While you're there, why not leave us voicemail? You can also share your thoughts on this episode or your own ADHD experiences with us at, you guessed it, holy shit, I have ADHD at gmail.com or via our social media pages in the episode notes. Bye for now and hyper focus on the positive. <laughs>